Good morning, Liberty. Welcome back to our online services. Glad you can join us this morning. We're going to be looking again at 1 Thessalonians, so turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm picking it up where I was last time, looking at verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Let's pray. Father, bless the preaching of your word this morning. Thank you for the privilege of this technology that lets the word go forth, not just for Liberty Church, but for many churches in the area, for many churches across this nation, for many churches across the world. We thank you, God, that you are so good to us, that you sustain us, that you protect us, that you provide for us. I pray that you would continue to do so, Lord, that you continue to protect this body. We thank you for our friends that are in Belize joining us this morning, and we pray, God, that our time would be good, that it would be righteous, and it would be full of truth. In your name, amen. And I do greet my brothers and sisters in Belize uh, we've noticed that you guys have been able to join us uh, the last couple weeks, and uh, we appreciate the partnership we have with you all. So greetings in the Lord to my brothers and sisters in Belize. Last week, we, we examined three things that Paul singled out regarding his motives and behavior. It was flattery, greed, and glory-seeking. And one of the things for us to remember when we're talking about God, anytime we're talking about God, anytime we're, we're looking at who he is, anytime we're examining any of his attributes, we want to know that what we are examining is the truth. We want the truth on all of these things. So the, the message uh, title that I have for today is The Witness of God. The Witness of God. See, God knows God sees, and God is directing the affairs of mankind. He's a witness to what is going on. So he's leading, he's guiding, he's directing, and he is intervening as he sees fit. Now, this is true of big things. Big events is true of small things, of small events. Now, let's talk about God's providential timing for a moment. I dropped off uh, a gift um, a few days ago to some friends that just had a baby, um, and when I dropped it off at the time, I had a little like a gag gift for them, and I forgot to drop that off uh, at the same time. So I swung back by their house uh, today and um, dropped off that gag gift. But, but while we were cleaning out the church um, yesterday, we found, we found this package of, actually we found a, a bunch of different diapers, but we found this package of like itty bitty baby diapers, like really tiny. Like I didn't even know they made baby diapers that tiny. But I figured, hey, you know, my friend, he's got like a newborn, so maybe these diapers, they could use these, and we can't really uh, put them to much use. So, you know, I, I put the little 
gag gift on his front porch and, and left the, the thing of diapers. Well, he ended up texting me uh, later and saying um, how much of a blessing the diapers were. Uh, I guess I didn't realize that I, I, I kind of forgot. I'm getting old, okay? Um, I've forgotten, you know, babies kind of start to grow pretty quickly once, once they're born. And um, those, those, normally those diapers, those little diapers really wouldn't have been much use. But um, the, their baby, the doctor's not super concerned, but hasn't just grown as much. So those diapers were actually perfect, he said. And they'd actually run out because they were kind of anticipating having to bump up to the next size. So they're set to go on those, those bigger diapers. But, you know, he was reflecting to me like he's just thankful for God's providential timing, and that the Lord knows what we need. And the Lord knows when we need it. So here today, we're going to be looking at God, not just his providential timing, but really specifically God as our witness. Like he is, is viewing and seeing the events that are unfolding in the past and the present and the future. I mean, he, he sees it all. And so when, when Paul references God as a witness, look with me at verse 5. He says, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. He says, and then he says, God is witness. What does your version say? I think all of them say God is witness. He references it again in verse 10. Go down to verse 10. He says, you are witnesses, referring to the Thessalonians, and God also. So God also is a witness. He references it again. But what does that mean? Well, let's talk about a witness first. A witness testifies to the truthfulness of the person or the event that occurred. Okay, they're testifying to something. Now, you know, when my dad, he had his stroke uh, years and years ago, when he had his first stroke, he's actually going through a divorce at the time. Not, not from my mom, but from my stepmom. So he's going through that, and the neurosurgeon who did the surgery on my dad um, after his stroke was called to testify regarding my dad's current and future cognitive abilities. Now, why would you call a neurosurgeon to testify? Well, because he's a neurosurgeon. He knows the brain. He's going to know what the cognitive abilities, what are my dad's capabilities, thinking-wise, what are his prospects for the future of trying to return to work as an attorney? So the neurosurgeon, I mean, he's got an area of expertise, right? And guess what? You want the expert in that area to speak to the issue at hand. You want to call the best witness that you possibly can. Now, when the scripture talks about God being a witness, I'd say there's two aspects that you'll see. The first one is more of, of judgment. He is there observing to see if you do right. Look at Genesis 31. In Genesis 31, Laban is exhorting Jacob, his son-in-law, you know, Jacob has left, and, and then they kind of have that little confrontation, and, and, and so they're getting ready to part finally, and Laban tells Jacob this in Genesis 31, 50. He says, <clears throat> starting in 49, the Lord walked between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. 
If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. So Laban's calling on God as the witness for what? That Jacob does what is right. Basically, the idea being, he'll see if you do the right thing. He's going to know. And because that's the case, you better do the right thing. Now, Judges has a similar situation occur. Look at Judges 11. This is with the judge, Jephthah. They've come to him. They want him to be uh, the deliverer of Israel. And it says this, Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I'm in verse 9, I will be your head. He's basically saying, like, if I, if I come and help you all out, you guys are approaching me, and if I end up uh, leading the charge and we win the battle, like, I want to be your, your leader, your ruler. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. Again, what's the idea? Like, God will testify, and he's going to observe and see if we follow through or not. And if, if, if we don't, he's going to know it, the idea being, that's not a good thing. Like, we're calling on God to be the witness, so we better follow through with what we have said we're going to do. That's the first one. It's one of judgment. The second one is one of testifying. He's there, God is there testifying that you have done the right thing, that you've taken the right action, that your words have been true. So he can be called upon to verify <clears throat> the truth of what has occurred. Now, uh, who are you going to call as a witness? If, 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 if something's being challenged in your life, if, if something you've done is being challenged, oh, I don't know about that action that you did. Oh, I don't know about those, those words that you said. I mean, who are you going to call as a witness? You're going to call um, the bank manager who everyone knows swindles money? Now, you're probably not going to call them. Uh, you're going to call the guy who everyone knows is, is, is the town drunk? No, you're probably not going to call them. You're going to call the married lady who's been seen around town with, with other men? No, you're probably not going to call them. Uh, and who are you going to call? You're going to call the person who lives the most upright life and no wrong can be laid at their feet who can testify to the truthfulness of who you are, what you've done, and what you've said. Why? I mean, why? Because usually upright people are known to be upright. Upstanding individuals have gotten their reputation. Why? Because they are upstanding. They hold a higher ground. They are known to tell the truth. They are known to do the right thing. Now, those other people might be good witnesses. They might. But there's a reason attorneys call reliable and trustworthy witnesses. And there's a reason a defense attorney tries to discredit people's testimony and their witness by appealing to their words and actions that they've said and done elsewhere. Oh, judge, well, I know this guy is, is, is trying to accuse my client of doing something, but, but look what they've done over here, or look what they've said over here. They try to discredit them. So a witness, you're going to call the one who's going to testify on your behalf in a truthful way. You're going to call the one that everyone who 
can trust and know is reliable. Think about it for a moment. On the witness stand, sometimes it's, it's uh, someone's testifying to someone's character or reputation. Sometimes the person's already been accused, and then they call people up to ask the judge for leniency on whatever the punishment is going to be. But who do they usually call up there? I mean, usually it's like uh, the guy's, you know, former basketball coach, right? Uh, it's the, the, the guy's youth pastor. Um, it's the girl's well-respected boss. It's the girl's some, uh, some community leader that, that the lady knows that, that is being called to testify. Why? Because the reputation of those types of people is usually very solid. Now, Paul talks about being a witness and God calling on God as his witness in a few cases. I just want to look at two of them. In Romans 1, verse 9, he says this, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you. So he, he starts his letter to the Romans, and he's telling them, Hey, I've I prayed a whole lot for you. And in fact, God, you, 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 can ask, you can call on God, you can ask God to testify to the fact that Without ceasing, I'm, I'm praying for you. In Philippians 1, we see a similar situation where he says in verse 8, for God is my witness. So here again, Paul is calling upon God to testify to the truthfulness of what Paul is saying. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now why does Paul do that in each of those situations? The first one, I mean, <clears throat> how can the Romans know that Paul without ceasing, is, is, is praying for them. He's praying for them without ceasing. Well, God would know that, right? And how can the Philippians know that Paul yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus himself? Well, God would know that. When we call upon God as the witness, when Paul's doing that, he's appealing to God to testify to something that only God can know. God knows our inner motivations. God knows the state of our heart. He knows, I mean, he knows it all. Everyone can guess what your motivation might be in a particular situation, but God knows. Every single time, God knows. That's why Paul makes the appeal to God. Why is this so important to Paul? Think about this for a moment. Why is this so important to Paul? Because truth was at stake. Paul is coming before them with the truth of the gospel. And he needs to make sure that his testimony itself can in no way be brandished or tarnished. This is not Paul's truth. This is the very truth of God himself. So Paul takes pains at times to emphasize that what he is speaking is true. Friends, let me encourage you with something. We need to be truthful with our words. We need to be truthful with our words. Let's be very clear with whatever we say, and not just be clear and try to hide things or make things fuzzy. No, let's be clear and truthful with our words. The Bible says, let your yes be what? Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Okay? Sometimes like we're kind of wishy-washy, and our yes is no, and our no is yes. That's not right. 
We're disobeying the commands of Scripture. It says, yes, be yes. No, be no. So let's be people of the word, but also let's be people of our word. People of the word and people of our word. They know when we say something, we're going to follow through. That enhances our testimony to others. That enhances our witness. That enhances like who we are as believers in Christ. It adds credibility to the truths we speak to them when we're speaking about spiritual truths. If they can't trust us on just trivial things, on just regular things, then, then why would they consider trusting us on spiritual things, on things that truly matter? So let's be people of our word. Our friends, our family, our coworkers should know that when, when we say something, there's no doubt that whatsoever, that whatever we're saying is the truth. Be known as a truth teller. Friends, if you're known as a truth teller, if you're going to tell the truth, it's going to cost you. It will literally cost you financially. If you're going to be a truth teller, it's going to cost you. It might even cost you friends. It will, in fact. If you're going to be a truth teller, if you're going to stick to the word of God, if you're going to be faithful to what he calls you to do, if you are going to always take the high road and not lie, there's a cost to it. But friends, there's, there's a cost to following Jesus. I mean, this is just one more thing in the list of being a true disciple of Jesus. Did Jesus ever lie? No, of course not. <clears throat> Let's be like Jesus so we don't lie. Listen, the righteous want God as their witness. See, God sees, and that means this. We should care regardless of who is around. Now, sometimes we can, we can be deceptive or we can have different motives or we can do different things because we're like, well, no one's ever going to find out. Well, that might be true. But God knows. God is our witness. So he knows. And because of that very fact, Look, look, if you're doing it and you're like, oh, I can get away with this, or I can get away with that, no one's ever going to know. I mean, you're basically a man pleaser. You're a man pleaser. Because you're not really caring about what God thinks. You're a man pleaser. If you're concerned about what God thinks, then that will affect your actions, your thoughts, and your words every step of the way. Every single step it will affect. So listen, the righteous want God as their witness. It is a good thing to have God as your witness. Think about that. This isn't like a shudder and, and be frightened by God. He's not peering over your shoulder, peeking at what you're doing. No, when, when it talks about God being our witness, this is the idea like on, on the day of judgment, God's going to be there as a witness. And you're going to say, oh, Lord, Father, I trusted in your son and God himself will be able to testify to the truthfulness of that. And you can say, Father, I put my faith in your son. And God himself, he is the witness. He will testify to the truthfulness of that. Further, think about this. Man can never fully know how righteous or wicked our deeds are. They just can't. They can't ever fully know how righteous or wicked your intentions are. You know, I, I don't know what you've done. Not, not, not fully. 
And, and guess what? Not even your spouse knows what you've done. Not fully. And your parents don't know what you've done. Not fully. I mean, you can hide things from them, but you can't hide it from God. God knows. God knows. And if, if you have God as your witness, and if you've like come to a place where you've humbled yourself, God says he opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. If you've come to a place where you've humbled yourself and you've trusted and what Jesus did on the cross for you. That your sins were placed on Jesus. That he took care of those sins. That you got a problem because you've been separated from God because of your sin. But Jesus provided a way back to the Father. Jesus provided a way to have the broken relationship between you and God mended. I mean, like this. I mean, that's an amazing thing. And God wants to testify on your behalf to the truthfulness of that if you've done it. Friends, I encourage you. If you haven't trusted Christ, like today's the day. The Bible says that in Hebrews, today is the day of salvation. What are you waiting for? I mean, some of you, some of you need to do that for the first time. So the righteous want God as their witness. Listen, the evil do not want God as their witness. They don't want him around. They don't want him watching. Most of you, if, if you've paid even a little bit of attention to the news, what's the, the state that has had the most challenges uh, with the outbreak of the coronavirus? New York, right? Well, they finally had some numbers trending downward regarding infections and deaths. And here's what the governor, Andrew Cuomo, here's what he said. Listen to this. This is scary. The number is down because we brought the number down. And then he went on to say this. God did not do that. that is, that's what he said. God did not do that. Faith did not do that. Destiny did not do that. Listen, Governor Cuomo, God is witness. And you need to repent of such blasphemy that came from your mouth. Because that is horrible. God in his graciousness has lessened the impact of what's going on in your own state. And you've given him no credit at all. In fact, you've taken it away from him. God put you in that position as governor. And listen, the Lord can remove you just as quickly as he put you in. May God have mercy on your soul. Friends, just a little theology 101. All throughout Scripture, God uses nature. He uses physical, physical things and people themselves to accomplish his will. I mean, have you ever been used to accomplish God's will? Like, I hope so, right? So that's how he designed his world to work. It's like theology 101. Listen, part of the conquest of the promised land in the Old Testament, guess what God used when they were going into the land to conquer the land. Guess what he used? Wait for it. Hornets. All right? Hornets. Listen to what Joshua 24 says in verse 12. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. So here's my question. Did the hornets drive them out? 
Or did God drive them out? I mean, which one? Well, yeah. Did the hornets drive them out? Yes. Did God drive them out? Yes. It's both. God can use whatever or whomever he wants in this world to accomplish his purposes. So if he wants to use the great wealth that he's blessed us with, the knowledge that we have to have things like ventilators and, and vaccines and, and medicine, and you can give someone an IV to, to give them uh, fluids that they need, that we know how to disinfect things so that the, the, we're not just spreading it, the disease around to everybody when we're trying to help. I mean, he's imparted that to men and women for his glory. He's imparted that as part of his graciousness to us. So he uses secondary purposes, we might say secondary causes, even though he is the primary cause. Think of the farmer. The farmer, it hasn't rained in three weeks. And the farmer's like, Lord, I need my crops to grow. Please let my crops grow. Please let my crops grow. And then it starts raining. And he's like, oh, Lord, I wish you would have answered my prayer. Like, what? The, you know, the crops are going to grow, but it's because of the rain. No, the farmer's not stupid. He knows that God is in control of his world, and God sent the rain. So what's making those crops grow? The rain? Yes. The Lord? Yes. God uses secondary causes to accomplish his purposes. Listen, friends. Why do you want God as your witness? Because God doesn't lie. God doesn't lie. In fact, he can't lie. Think about that for a second. It's against his nature. It is against the nature of God to sin. In fact, he can't sin. You're like, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Well, let me just read a verse to you. Hebrews 6.18, making an argument. In the middle of this argument, he says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God. Why? Because it is against the very nature of who God is. It's impossible for him to do that. God will always speak truth. He will always be truth. He will always speak truth. God says in Proverbs 19 this, verse 22, a poor man is better than a liar. A poor man is better than a liar. If you got the opportunity to make money, if you got the opportunity to get a certain job, but the only way to make the money or to get the job is to lie, God says it'd be better to be poor. At least you'd have your honor. At least you'd have your respect. At least you'd have your testimony. A poor man is better than a liar. Do you realize, <clears throat> you realize when, you, when you lie, you're acting more like Satan than like Jesus. You're like, oh, why, why do you say that, Pastor? Why do you say that, Pastor? Because Jesus tells us he is the truth. What does it say in John 14, 6? I am what? I am the way. I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. Being like Jesus, guess what? It means being like the truth. It means telling the truth. It means walking a life of truth in all areas. We got a saying in our house. And the saying is, your word is your bond. Your word is your bond. Now, in our house, that's kind of funny because uh, there's kind of a pun going on there. So when your last name's Bond, right, your word is your bond. 
but, <clears throat> but we don't really mean it in the funny way. We mean that if you're saying something, you're going to hold to it. If you're saying something, you're going to follow through. You're going to be faithful to that. Now contrast that with Satan. Here's what Jesus says in John 8, verse 44. He's speaking to the multitudes gathered, specifically the Pharisees. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So on, on the one hand, you got Satan over here. He's lying and he's lying and he's lying. And, and Jesus is like, that, that's like, that's his nature. That's his character. And the complete opposite is God himself, who it says is impossible for him to lie. We want the witness of God to testify to who we are in his son, Jesus. We want the witness of God, so that when we have God's word, we know that every single word is true. Completely true. There's no, there's no fabrication in it. There's no a uh, little bit of error in it. No. God is true. What he says is true. What he does is truthful. So when we come to his word, we can take hope in that. We can trust it because it's coming from God himself. And friends, if God is going to testify on our behalf, then we want to make sure that we have a life that has been lived that can be worthy of being testified for. And in Christ, guess what? Guess what happens? In Christ, we're justified. God sees us. He declares us to be righteous. In, in, in spite of all the failures and faults and sins, if, if we have Jesus, if he has us, then we can walk in, in a forgiveness. And, and friends, guess what? If, if you're struggling in this area with being a truth teller, if you're struggling and you're like, I, I, I lie, well, there's hope if you're a believer that the Spirit can transform you from the inside out. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. You need to ask God for the Spirit of truth. Remember what he says, John 4? If you're going to worship me, it's going to be in spirit and what? Spirit and truth. You want, even if you, I mean, to worship God has to be done in truth. It's got to be done in truth. Spirit and truth. So when we come before the Lord, we need to be coming with humble hearts, recognizing that we need him to do his work in us and through us. Like, we have a, a gracious father who loves us, who cares for us. He wants, us to, to, he wants to see us walking in the ways of righteousness, but he's not just off from a distance observing things. He's given us the very best thing he could have to walk in his ways, and that's his spirit. Not, just, not the Spirit just to kind of put his arm around us, but his Spirit lives inside of us. Slowly working, slowly transforming, slowly doing his work, bit by bit, day by day, hour by hour. Now, sometimes, like, the Spirit comes in, he's like, bam, boom, right? And you get convicted, and you're like, you, you change. And other things, you might struggle in a bit, but God is slowly working 
and molding and shaping you. Are you letting God do that, first of all? Do you want God to do that? Are you asking for him to do that? Because part of that would be if you're struggling in different areas, you're confessing it as sin. You're acknowledging it before God. I mean, he's the witness, right? But you're acknowledging that you've fallen short and you need his help. And then you're crying out for him to intercede, for him to, to continue to strengthen you, to walk in his ways. And then you're surrounding yourself with other believers to help you in that walk. This is the truth that God has for us, that he so loved us that he just doesn't leave us of our own accord, but he came, sent his son to rescue us. And, he, and, and Jesus says, look, it's better if I go away. I mean, think about that. It's better if I go away. Why? Because the Spirit will come once I go. We each need the Spirit, and we need to pray, Spirit, like, fill me. Live inside me. Transform me. Help me to become more like the Father. Help me to be a vessel that will be willing to be used however the Father sees fit. Let's make that truth true in our own lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are so good to us, that we have the gift of your Spirit, that you are so good to us that we have the gift of your Son, that you are so good to us that we have the gift of eternal life in Jesus. And you shower us with, with mercy. You shower us with grace. You shower us with your love over and over and over again. Father, we ask that you be glorified in our lives. Remove from us anything that's not of you. Fill us with your Spirit to walk in your ways and have the fruit of the Spirit. To your glory, we pray. Amen. Have a great week, church. See ya.